When people think of niching, they think in terms of giving themselves a competitive advantage in the market. But I actually think the true benefit of niching is that it allows you to focus. Having more focus allows you to move faster because you don't need to constantly think about, oh, what should I do next? What should I do next? Because you already have to find that tunnel that you're going to go down. Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of Webflow. I'm your host, Jack, and today my guest is Connor Finlayson. You've probably already heard of Connor if you're listening to this podcast, which is all about Webflow. I mean, you know, he is kind of a big deal. He's a no-code weapon. On his YouTube channel with over 11K subs, he has helped people who cannot code build their own online businesses with no-code tools like Webflow, Airtable, and Zapier. You might have heard that phrase before if you've watched his channel. Connor comes from a marketing background and then came across Webflow in 2018, which helped him spin up landing pages fast. He wanted to get more freelance work. So instead of building a portfolio website, he built a directory for freelancers and put himself at the top. Kind of genius. He then built this into the Unicorn Factory a job board for New Zealand-based freelancers, and now that's his main source of income. The failures we talk about today are not pulling the plug on his first startup sooner, splitting his time between doing Facebook ads and no coding as a freelancer, and taking on too many projects at once. Embrace and learn from failure in episode 36 of Webflow. And in the words of Connor Finlayson, without further ado, let's get into it. Connor, welcome to Webflow. Great intro. I even love the let's get into it. <laughs> That's a yeah. fine touch right there. Hey, hey, for those that watch your videos, they will recognize recognize that <laughs> phrase. You do it so fast in your videos, you're just like on autopilot when you're doing your intros now. But no, it's it's epic to to finally have you live in front of me rather than watching your videos, which I've been doing all day. It's great to have you here. So I wanted to ask you first off, this is a question from Emily Giordano. How was the Unicorn Factory event? Yeah. Um, so I just got back from New Zealand. I spent a month over there. Um, I live in Canada now. So um, it was my first trip back to New Zealand. And one of the freelancers on the Unicorn Factory found out I was coming back to New Zealand. So they decided to um, host a meetup. And it was awesome. Um like 70 people showed up and um, we did like a little panel Q&A thing. There were some of the other freelancers on there that were basically sharing their experiences as well. But it was awesome. Um, I think the, the thing that was that I really enjoyed about the most was that I got to meet a whole bunch of the freelancers that had joined the site since I moved to Canada in person. And it was cool. Like you recognize them from their profile photos and stuff like that. And so... It was just awesome, like being able to connect with people like that. It really got me in the mood for like networking again, because uh, ever since you know all of the lockdowns and stuff, I've kind of just like do a lot of my networking online. But just having gone to that Unicorn Factory event kind of really showed why it's actually awesome to go and do more in person things. So it was fantastic, and it's so cool that they organized that for you, or someone found out that you were going to be there, and they were like, "Oh my god, all Unicorn Factory people unite!" Like that is a serious fan base and community that you've you've built up over time that's amazing yeah i'm very lucky we've got like a really great community of freelancers and i was definitely like stoked by it like uh, it was it's it's really um 
it kind of, it's really good, especially when you're like working on a business yourself to kind of, you know, you always get some kind of feedback, positive, negative, but like I organized the Webflow meetup in Wellington back in the day. And it was because I loved the platform so much because I got so much value out of it. So for now someone to organize a meetup around something that I created was really cool. It felt really good. And so, yeah, very lucky to have like great people on the site. That is mental. You've built not just fans, but super fans. And I think that is something that I think companies generally like don't really develop nearly as much as personas. I definitely think Webflow has, has managed it in, in a pretty magical way. But um, yeah, it's it's amazing that you've managed to develop that kind of around you and sharing the unicorn factory. But one thing I wanted to ask you about. So I've been digging into your videos today and you obviously share all about no-code tools, but in the context, a lot of the time, in how it's affected the Unicorn Factory. And I came across a video where someone had literally ripped off your whole concept. And Mm -hmm. I just want to ask you about that, like the tension between sharing so much of what you're doing Mm -hmm. and teaching people and, you know, inspiring people, but then also kind of giving away your secret sauce like do you feel like there's a line there do you regret sharing as much as you have can you talk to us a little bit about that so that video wasn't necessarily about someone like ripping off the unicorn factory or copying it it was about them it was a freelance on the unicorn factory that managed to take advantage of some issues with anoko tools that i was using to get access to all of the freelancers email addresses on the unicorn factory and they then built their platform and then um basically emailed all of them. And so that was kind of what the issue was. I I fundamentally don't really have an issue with people copying um, the Unicorn Factory or other kind of projects that I work on for that matter, because I do believe that everything that we work on is an abstraction of something that we've experienced. And me, for example, I've never made a secret of it that Webflow Experts was one of like the main influences for me to build the Unicorn Factory. And they shared how they built it in their blog post. And so there are a few reasons reasons why I decided to share all of this stuff. Number one is I always kind of think back to the less competent version of myself and where I was stuck in the process of building my own site and the value that I got from reading that blog post that Webflow put out about how they created Webflow experts. And so when I started sharing it with people, um, it was mostly because I thought, you know, it's a great way to kind of pay it back or pay it forward for the kind of, you know, resources that other people have shared. Because not just um, have I, have I um, you know, shared some of the things that I've done with the Unicorn Factory, but I've actually mostly learned way, way more from other people in the community. I remember like really getting the hang of Webflow by watching all of Nelson's tutorials. Um, I watched a lot of Aaron's tutorials to get the hang of Airtable. And besides just like the content that people put out, it's also the people who like give me their time to like jump on a call with me and explain to me how to do certain things. And so I think the key thing to make um, it, you know, to like really make sure that you're like a good part of the community is to like give back what you get from others and so ultimately you know if someone um, gets inspired by the unicorn factory finds my youtube channel and they want to build their own freelancer marketplace i'm more than happy for people to do so if i wasn't i wouldn't share the content and also you know like if someone does 
build something like the unicorn factory and they managed to overtake me, then it wouldn't have had anything to do with the no-code tools or the things that I share. There are a lot of things that happen behind the scene that you just kind of figure out through trial and error over time. And so I always understand that they will have to go through that process themselves. And so overall, I'm not particularly worried about it, but I also kind of do encourage people to like go out and like try build things themselves. And that's ultimately why I created the channel. That's an awesome answer. I feel like a lot of people get it inside in their head that they're just like, this is my secret source. I can't share this. Behind the scenes, like you say, there's so much that goes into making something as complex as the Unicorn Factory. Can I just rewind a little bit, you as a marketer, because I think you've got a really, really interesting skill set that kind of arrived into the no-code space having got quite a lot of experience in marketing so can I can I just ask you about that and your experience with marketing that that eventually led you to find Webflow because I believe you were trying to spin up landing pages and that's kind of where Webflow came in Mm -hmm. so after university I joined this entrepreneurial boot camp and I got teamed up with two developers so I had to develop a skill set that would complement what they were doing and so sales and marketing was like the natural area to drift towards and so um I started mostly doing business development at the beginning, but I always felt that I wanted to learn a technical skill because a lot of the work that developers were doing was incredibly technical, sitting at a computer, coding things up. And so I wanted to develop a skill set where I could actually show tangible results in terms of deliverables, you know, like things that I created. And so I decided to learn digital marketing. And so I um, spent a lot of time learning Facebook ads, and that was what I ended up specializing in for a really long time. And then as I got into freelancing, I really doubled down on Facebook ads specifically. Um, I started off creating Facebook ads in the co-working space niche. Then I started working with... um, you know, I worked with the biggest ski field in New Zealand. And then I did a lot of, I don't know how this happened, but like a lot of sports events related marketing. And so I really just started off with Facebook ads and then basically honed my skill set by freelancing on for different companies that were trying to sell online. And that's also, that skill set really came into helping you grow the unicorn factory when you eventually set that up as well, wasn't it? So that um, you could attract more and more um jobs to there and also freelancers became aware of it through that as well is that right yeah so um one thing that i started to realize with my facebook ads and the more time i spent um you know refining my skill set is that you know facebook ads is just a piece in the puzzle if you really want to get results that you need to kind of be able to influence every part of the user journey and obviously the website is a big part of that now Prior to getting into Facebook ads, I tried WordPress, I tried all those things, but nothing really stuck. But I kind of wanted to really figure out how I could at the very least build landing pages because obviously campaign landing pages are key for Facebook ads campaigns. And oftentimes the clients that I work with didn't have any in-house talent that could basically build landing pages for me. So it was really up to me to figure it out. And that is really how I stumbled into the Webflow world. And as soon as I started to learn how to build a basic landing page, um, I I went through a very similar journey where I kind of went down the Webflow rabbit hole and I discovered the CMS. And then I came across that blog post. And so um, one of the ways that I find I learn best is to actually just build a project and to kind of use that as my playground to experiment with different things. I actually made that the Unicorn Factory. So 
I, I had the option between um, learning how to build my own portfolio website or to potentially just build a directory of freelancers. And at the time I was working in a co-working space where um, there were a lot of businesses that would need freelancers. So I figured, you know, I could just create this and just promote it in that co-working space that I was in. And so um, ultimately how it all played out was I started working on it. I recruited a few friends to be on the site. And um, before you knew it, I had eight freelancers on there and I'd go around the co-working space promoting my Facebook ad services. And then people started talking about it and a few more freelancers added. And now it's kind of grown into what it is now. So it's quite funny how it kind of evolved over time. It's so crazy how like it organically became what it is today though. Like it, de- you didn't set out with like, I'm going to build the largest job board in New Zealand. Like that was not your intention. It was like, I want to get freelance work. So I'm going to create this website and drive traffic. And that's going to create awareness in the co-working space. And, but it was mainly for um, your Facebook ad freelance work, right? Like you weren't offering web design or, or web building, were you? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I was so uncomfortable about offering that as a service, even for, for like quite a long time, even after we had like hundreds of people on the Unicorn Factory only because I didn't never consider myself like a web designer or web developer. I had the, I had a lot of confidence in my Facebook advertising skills because um, Facebook ads have a really good feedback loop where you can actually see, hey, this is the return on ad spend. And so you can immediately see, oh, wow, I'm actually delivering great results for a client. But, you know, like design is a very uh, subjective thing and I was always like nah, I'm not a designer you know even nowadays I'm kind of like I'm not that great at designing I think I can get like the basics of UX up and running and obviously with like tools like Reloom and stuff like that it's all a little bit easier to get like the UX side of things better but I would not offer that as a service eventually I did but um, when I started the Unicorn Factory it was just I'm going to use this to get more Facebook ad clients it's so crazy okay can we just circle back to you building this as your first website because in my head i'm like if you want to get clients you need a portfolio and what you did is thought everyone's got a portfolio and some of them aren't even getting clients so i'm just gonna go like completely left field and and was that successful or like kind of you know it's just so different from like what generally people would say if you were to try to get clients. Do you see what I'm saying? A hundred percent. I mean, like, the thing about it is, is like, I don't, I didn't think I would stand the chance competing against agencies. It's not even like uh, competing against other freelancers. I mean, I thought it would be super difficult for me to um, create my own portfolio website and then go and present it on par with what, um, you know, some of the other agencies are doing. A uh, few reasons for that. Number one, I don't think that I have the visual uh, design skills that I think you need in order to compete with some of those people who are like super legit um obviously um and, and it was really and also after just talking to people um that are other freelancers businesses i just realized that a majority of the time people just want choice and so that kind of played into it as well it's like well here i'm not really trying to sell my services i'm trying to present options to potential problems that they have and then hopefully that will lead to to them reaching out to me but ultimately we had like Shopify people on there and it's really kind of just options for people um and so that was kind of 
the idea behind it. That was kind of what I thought would work. With that being said, I had no idea if it was going to work or not. It just luckily ended up turning out to be something that worked because our SEO started to kick in. Having all of those freelancers on there was a huge advantage in terms of ranking well on Google for terms like freelance logo designer, freelance web designer. And so eventually it just got to the top of Google and that kind of is when like everything started to like roll naturally. Yeah, it's crazy. And I guess you got backlinks from all these different freelancers who yep. were in the co-working space. And so, so, and I guess it was an amazing case study for your Facebook ads as well. I mean, as a freelancer, you know, if you have a business that is working, then other business people are going to be like, well, he's obviously not just a guy who's dicking around on YouTube. Like he knows his stuff. He's got a serious, he's top of Google. Like he must, let's, you know, mm -hmm. hire this guy. Um, which I is, that, which is but genius. also, also, so, um, because I was um, kind of connecting all these freelancers to businesses, I was also getting really great insights from businesses as to why they wouldn't hire certain types of freelancers, why they wouldn't reach out to certain types of freelancers. Because um, if they, they would give me honest feedback, they, they'd never like um, they'd never tell the freelancers directly because they're always worried about hurting their feelings and stuff like that. But they'd tell me why they would be like, oh, we didn't reach out to this person for this, this, and this reason. Um, we checked out their like website and it didn't work, all those kind of things. And so I was able to basically create a checklist of things that I had to do on my profile in order to put myself in the best possible position. And I was able to learn a lot faster because I was able to do it for an entire collection of freelancers and that really put me in a good spot pretty fast and i started sharing all that information with other freelancers as well and yeah that kind of improved you know the whole client freelancer relationship and engagement on the site pretty fast we need to jump into your failures because they are chomping at the bit to realize where you've messed up it doesn't sound like you have messed up that much but tell me about failure number one not pulling the plug on your first startup, Hatcher, sooner. Yeah. So I, I chose that one because um, with all of the failures that I'm going to talk about, I don't really consider them failures. I kind of consider them more like low points at, throughout my journey of working for myself. And, and the first point uh, where I feel like I kind of hit like a, a real low point in my life at the time was um, when I um, when at the first startup that I worked on called Hatcher kind of burnt to the ground a bit. Um, and so the long, so just the long story short, after university, I was struggling to find jobs. Um, I was like a real C type student and C's get degrees, but like you struggle to like get jobs. And so um, I, I was feeling really down about myself because I kind of felt like I had done what I was supposed to do, go to university, get a degree, and then I'll go out into the workforce and get my job. But because I never really cared about university as much, or I never tried as much, um, or I never really tried to like get really good grades, I found myself in a position where I couldn't get jobs. And so the way that I dealt with that was I joined an entrepreneurial bootcamp thing because someone said to me, you know, like put something entrepreneurial on there because that um, is something that employers love seeing in your um, CV and it will increase the chances of you getting interviews. And essentially it's just a numbers game. So I joined this program and we, I got paired up with these guys who are developers and I started this startup called Hatcher. 
which is basically uh, was an app that helped you find food and drink deals uh, in my hometown in Wellington. Again, it was like a marketplace as well where restaurants and bars could basically list their promos on our thing. Like a classic app that like first time entrepreneurs, students kind of create. And when we created it um, at the start, the whole point of it was to create like a PowerPoint presentation. So I've just got something that I can smash on my CV and so I can move on with this. But I actually just realized that I loved it. I loved uh, the idea of coming up with things, putting it out there. And as soon as I got enthusiastic about it, a lot of people that we were around saw that enthusiasm and they started supporting us. And so I feel like I derived a lot of my confidence from this business. So like me working on this suddenly turned me in from someone who was struggling to find a job to this startup entrepreneur. And I was like, it made me feel really good about myself. And so we were like, pretty new to business like to be honest we thought we had it all figured it out but like in hindsight we didn't know shit and so basically we got to the point where we had built an android app an ios app we had built like this fancy customer dashboard with analytics and all that kind of stuff but we were barely making money and the writing was on the wall for a very very long time we hadn't really done good customer research. We hadn't really validated that there are people out there who are going to be willing to pay us for it. You know, sometimes I look back and feel like we just made some pretty silly rookie mistakes because we were too sure of what we were doing. Ultimately, it got to the point where everyone started like running out of money and like the emotional toll and the mental toll that like not making a lot of money um, was taking on you was kind of getting to everyone. And so eventually we pulled the plug, but I hung on to this thing for like another few months just because I was so attached to the business because I identified so much with the business. I pretty much derived all of my self-worth from this business that I just couldn't let it go because I thought that if I, if I stop this, this is the end of me. I'm like right back to where I started. And so what I did was I unnecessarily dragged out the pulling of the plug in order to avoid dealing with the fact that this is didn't work out the way I hoped it was going to work out. And I learned so much about business doing that. I, I, I mostly learned about what not to do, how to be a bit more strategic on all those kind of things. But when I look back, I feel like I could have learned those lessons a lot faster. And I should have also just pulled the pin and realized that, you know, even though this chapter might may come to an end it's really just the beginning of the next chapter i'd probably say that the biggest regret slash failure in that situation was that i just did not pull the plug sooner so that i could move on to the next thing which eventually turned into freelancing and then the unicorn factory wow okay a lot to unpick there so I mean, it's interesting that you saw yourself as a C student by virtue of of being, uh, well, I don't know if it's fair to say that you were a C student, but I think so much of the time at school you and uni, you kind of, you're defined very, like, objectively. Then you see yourself as that person, as an adult, when actually life Luckily, thank God, it doesn't work like school, but you carried that into your adulthood. And then when this um, entrepreneurial uh, venture started, you were like, this is who I am. Finally, I found out what I'm meant to be doing. This is my purpose. 
I can confidently tell adults that I am running my own business. And then to carry that on, even though the two developers left, which I imagine were pretty important considering your business was an app, that must have been so difficult for you. I can't really imagine that. So after that stopped, you must have felt pretty low, pretty... I mean, how did you even kind of start the next thing when that chapter closed, even though you didn't really realize that was a chapter closing, you thought it was just the end? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was like a bit messy. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> like I had burnt out 100%. And at the time, I didn't even really know what being burnt out meant. There was a realization I made afterwards. And the thing is, is like all of the stress and uncertainty about the business had such a negative effect in every other area of my life. For example, I started being super unhealthy and, you know, like I gained a lot of weight and didn't sleep well, all those kind of things. Like I had really allowed that startup idea to take everything from me. And so for me, before I jumped into the next thing, there was really just a period of recovery. And that was incredibly hard because even once you say, hey, look, it's time to like recover a bit, there's still like a certain period of time where your mind is trying to get you back into it. It's telling you, no, just keep going, just keep going and blah, 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 you know? And so it really took me a period for me to just recover, I would, I would say, and just like get my priorities straight a bit. And so for me, my priorities were um, health, like get in good shape again, get my mental health wired down. And I was very lucky because um, I've got a great family. I've got like a good support network. So I actually spent a bit of time with my mum. Like I went up to where my mum lived and I just stayed there, which, you know, was crushing at the beginning as well because I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, how am I, how am I like this old, you know, and I'm going for like, the tech startup guy and now i'm like back living at my friggin mother's house this is a complete and utter disaster but i honestly needed that time to recover i needed like a little bit of a break where i had like no obligations i could just like you know focus on getting healthy again i could stop eating junk food for a moment and like um you know just kind of get a bit healthy again and then you know it didn't even take that long, maybe like three, three-ish weeks in, I was like starting to feel good again. I started to feel healthy. I started to sleep better. I started to stop being so down about the whole situation. And that's when I realized, look, I'm ready now to like get back on the horse and I know I can do it. I just need to be more practical about it. I need to change my priorities. I know now what's important, what I should be working towards. And so I decided, you know what? If I, no matter what I do when I go back to it, I am not going to sacrifice my health, my physical or mental health. I'm not going, I'm not willing to make any sacrifices in terms of making money. So I'm not going to do the whole, I'll, I'll eat ramen noodles for like three months to hopefully eventually become super rich. I was like, we're just going to focus on like, adding value to businesses, charging a fair rate and making sure that what I'm doing is enjoyable and that it's allowing me to kind of live a good, healthy lifestyle. And that's what I did. As soon as I like have made my list of things that are important to me, I packed up, went back to Wellington, moved into my flat and 
Next day, returned to the co-working space and I was like, you know what? I am going to get on this freelancing train. I'm going to get, I'm going to start working for myself again and I'm going to make this work because I know I can do it. And yeah, it worked. I'm feeling pumped. I'm feeling pumped right now. <laughs> it sounds like you just, you learned that you needed to do the basics well and, and, yeah. and then also disassociate your self-worth from your job. Um, because I think a lot of freelancers listening right now might be really resonating with that, that it's kind of like, uh, there's a pressure to be kind of a hustle culture where you, it only stops when you quit or whatever. And actually you learned that you need to know when enough is enough for yourself and, and put yourself first over your work. Is that fair? hundred percent. And I, I also got caught up in the hustle culture thing, you know, like I, I got caught up in the whole thing you know raising money thing where like that's the only way you can do it and so um you know there's so much noise and advice from the outside and especially when you don't know when you're a little bit unsure about what you should be doing you're a lot more um like you're more likely to like listen to what someone has to say and kind of take it as the gospel and so it can lead you astray but you know as soon as you, uh, one of the things I realized was like a lot of the struggles and challenges that I had, it pretty much everyone else had. And as soon as I started opening up about it with friends who were in similar positions, I actually just realized, well, this is actually very similar for all of us. And as soon as you see that, hey, look, this person who is like great at this struggles with the exact same things, it actually kind of makes you feel a little bit good about yourself because you don't feel like, you, you know, you don't feel like you're screwing up or you're stupid or whatever it may be. And so I just surrounded myself with people who were kind of going through a similar journey, had different challenges and would just run things by each other. And I feel like that really put things in perspective. I also started to realize, you know, I think I, I think I started to realize that a lot more when I started creating YouTube content is like the stuff that you see on social media is designed to evoke a reaction. And so when you create content, you realize that a lot more because you look at like your retention graphs and your click through rates and all that kind of stuff. And you just realize that a lot of the stuff that is put out there and the way it's told or delivered is designed to make you feel like you're not doing a good enough job or to make it sound like the solution to your, all your problems is super simple, but it's not. And I think adding that perspective made me relax a lot more made me kind of like breathe and kind of enjoy the journey of figuring things out. And that just allowed me to kind of stay on track with what I wanted to do. And that I think has like been a key thing to me kind of making progress with what all the different things that I'm working on. And so, yeah. Tell me about failure number two, then splitting your time between doing Facebook ads and no code as a freelancer. Yeah. So again, here, this is just a, a learning um, for me personally, which was, you know, after I did went and spoke at the no code conference in um, San Francisco in 2019, all these people started getting in touch with me, asking me if I can like help people with, help them set up their own marketplace, do courses, consulting, and just like opportunities flew my way. Um but throughout that entire period, I, I wasn't really willing to like commit to it, even though it looked like a super promising opportunity. So I'd always like to hedge my bets a little bit by also doing Facebook ad stuff and then kind of like doing a little bit of no code stuff here and there. When in reality, 
I could have just like committed to the no code stuff earlier and it would have probably, you know, helped me on my career trajectory a lot faster. But I was always hedging my bets because there was a certain level of concern that if I um if I abandon the Facebook thing that's working out for me and I just go all in on the no code stuff that I could end up in a situation where everything comes crumbling back down again. And so I feel like uh, it would have been a good decision to earlier just be like, no more of this Facebook ad stuff. Let's just focus on the no code stuff. But with that being said, you know, um, I kind of naturally gravitated towards just focusing on all of the no code stuff eventually anyway, because I was just making more money. But I kind of feel like, I could have done it a little bit earlier, but... But, I mean, having said that, though, like we said in the intro, I mean, you're you're a no-code weapon, you know, and a part of the reason for that, I think, is because you also know marketing. Like, you also think about the psychology behind user decision-making, and you're not just, you know, spinning up stuff for the sake of it, right? And I, and I think, you know, to your credit, you were doing both at the same time, not just necessarily because of that fear-based thing but also maybe because you were just like i'm good at both i enjoy both they kind of go hand in hand to a certain extent like like you said at the start of this with marketing you're driving traffic to a landing page well that landing page is needs to be built on you know there's like facebook facebook ads times websites yeah for sure i agree i mean like at the end of the day i don't think that that's like a particularly big one i feel like hedging your bets too much out of fear can sometimes lead to you doing a lot of things a little bit, but nothing very great. And so when I came back here, I feel like all of the things that I've done with the Unicorn Factory has always been a little bit less than I could have done. And this is not me being hard on myself. I feel like I've done really, really well on the Unicorn Factory. Like um, I feel like I've taken it to like quite a good place. But if I'm being honest here, I have not treated it very much like, hey, this is like my thing. I don't even tell people it is my main thing. When people ask me, I just go like, I run the Unicorn Factory and I also do like no-co consulting, but it's never like just a pure focus on the Unicorn Factory. And so I kind of feel like it's just like an, a, a tendency to like want to hedge your bets a little bit by taking on a lot of different things, which I think is a mistake. Yeah, I think there's, it, it's a difficult one though, isn't it? Because on the one hand, I've heard people talk about spreading their surface area for luck. So, you know, having different skill sets um, or maybe, you know, doing various different things and kind of seeing what takes off or seeing, mm -hmm. you know, where, follow your nose and see where it goes. Right. And then on the other hand, like you say, I mean, if you hedge your bets too much, if you try and spread your time and attention to too many different places, then naturally you're not going to be able to do anything that well. Um, I've heard Chris Doe talk about this T-shape where you have like a variety of different skills, but one skill is your real um, kind of depth. And, and that's where you're really talented. I don't know if that resonates with you. Yeah, for sure. I actually heard that example of, well, I think it's actually how Google approaches hiring people. They, in the context of marketing, they hire what's called T-shaped marketers, which is like a real good broad understanding of a lot of different areas, but then a specialist in a particular area. It's kind of interesting. Um, the decisions that I've made up until this point have been very good because it has helped me develop a, a very broad skill set, marketing stuff, sales stuff, even just like being able to run my own business has given me incredibly useful insights into just like, you know, accounting, 
you know all the stuff that i started I stayed at university and just learned in textbooks i never really understood until i actually did it on my own business and so i definitely think it's useful i think it is more it's not even so much about the skills it's more about uh deciding what opportunities to pursue and i kind of feel like oftentimes when you find yourself in a situation where you chase too many opportunities you don't actually get the opportunity to really excel with the skill set that you have built over time because you're constantly constantly stopping and starting stopping and starting with a whole bunch of different things and so yeah that's kind of how i kind of, uh, how i look at it now so yeah no that's a really good way of looking at it so you're saying that it's not so much uh spreading your luck that's wrong it's that you need to go in on something to actually follow it through to for, for it to realize your full potential to a certain extent um which which makes a lot of sense in the context of that for web flowers that might be listening i feel like web flowers is such a general term now i'm kind of like so wait are you a marketer are you a developer are you a designer that's coming into the space um do you think that web flowers should be focusing on because everyone talks about niching and i i I kind of feel like the word niching is just so such a blanket statement, which I'm not sure is that helpful for Webflowers that are starting out in the space. What what are your thoughts on niching? Do you think that Webflowers should niche, and if so, how niche? And um, you know, in the context of being such a good generalist, how do you see it? So I think when people think of niching, they think in terms of giving themselves a competitive advantage in the market. But I actually think the true benefit of niching is that it allows you to focus. So I've got, you know, I've got like some friends who do really well in the Webflow space because they do a particular thing that they kind of self-identify as. They kind of self-identify as their own niche. Now, the market might not necessarily see that as their niche, um, but an example of that is Nikolai, who has a YouTube channel where he 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 is his focus is a lot around webflow templates you know so like a lot of the content that he does is about like has his template stuff and so he is technically to the market a webflow person so a lot of his clients don't see him as the webflow template person they see him as like a webflow design and developer but because he identifies more in that particular niche, it allows him to focus more and I actually feel like having more focus in that sense, allows you to move faster because you don't need to constantly think about, oh, what should I do next? What should I do next? Because you already have defined that tunnel that you're going to go down. And so when it comes to niching, I, I do think that obviously the advantages to niching down and positioning yourself to the market as someone, I feel like if you look at what, you know, for example, Black Peak does with Wiz, they are like the Wiz developers, you know, that will give you a huge edge in the market. But I think if you are a Webflow developer listening to this and you are thinking about how can I stand out, I would pick a particular area that you can focus on and use that kind of as the channel that you go down. And you'll see that you'll pick up people from all sorts of other areas as well, just by default. Tell me about failure number three. Not using a design system and overriding styles whenever I jump back into Webflow after a period of time. I mean, I thought because this is like Webflow, I should throw some good like Webflow ones in there or some good <laughs> no-code failures because I've had some. I, I consider these things more PSAs than um, admission of failures. But the first one was... Oh, this you, you find these things out by trial and error. Like even just thinking back, it just kind of makes me cry a bit. But, um, you know, like... When I set up the Unicorn Factory, 
I connected a lot of workflows through Zapier to the Webflow CMS. And then one day I painfully realized that if you back up a Webflow, a Webflow project, um, the CMS changes all its collection items and it essentially breaks every single workflow that you've got set up. So that's PSA number one. If your workflows are connected to your Webflow projects, do not back them up. Um, there are ways around it, um, but that can break your workflow. So that's number one. Number two, I don't know which Webflow developer hasn't experienced this, but like I was like, because I never really considered myself a designer, um, I would always just kind of like just jump in there and kind of just see what happens. And I would always run into issues where I'd like override styles because I didn't have like good class naming conventions. So like I would like work on a project. It would all be nice and orderly. Then I'd take like a two, three week break and I'd completely forget why I structured it in a certain way or why I named the class in a certain way. So I'd try to make a change. I'd change like the height of an element. And then before you know it, like I go on other pages and it's all misaligned because I had accidentally overwritten styles. And so one thing that really worked for me with that was actually just using a design system. So I used the client first one or the Reloom one, whatever comes. I pretty much just use like Reloom now as like my project starters. Um, and so they've got a really good style guide. So I feel like if you're just getting started with Webflow, um, you know, adopting good habits around using style guides, consistent class naming conventions will put you in a real good spot, especially because now I can actually comfortably outsource large parts of my Webflow development work because I use client first. And I know that someone who is experienced with client first can come in, make changes. And so I've been working with this real cool dude um, in the Netherlands who just comes in, he's a real good designer, he knows what he's doing in Webflow, so he just comes in and he can adapt it. Whenever I like log back into the project, I know exactly what's going on. But again, you know, it's not really like a failure, it's more like a, a learning, um, but still a good one to kind of know if you're getting into the Webflow space. Yeah, if we were to talk about just failures with Webflow on Webflow, I mean we would need way more than three for every single person that comes on this on this show because it's uh yeah i mean you're just learning learning the ropes but it's good to think as someone that's so into automations you know with client sites if you if a client's like hey can you you know come in and we restore the website because we've messed it up and we need you to restore it then yeah all of those links uh may be in trouble so just consider that definitely an important one to talk about Connor, are you ready for your most difficult question so far? Okay. What is your next failure going to be? Hmm. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> huh. Well, I'm 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 gonna be making some upgrades to the unicorn factory, which is like walking a tightrope every single time I do something. I mean, stuff breaks all the time. And you know, the thing about it is is I test in production. So, you know, actually one of the things that happened recently is I emailed like six thousand businesses accidentally telling them that they have new freelancers on their shortlist. And that was because I accidentally forgot to turn off one of the automations. So, you know, stuff like that is gonna happen on the regular. Um but yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm never too worried about things. I mean, like, if I'm being completely honest, like, things go up and down all the time. You have, like, moments where you feel like things are not going that well. I'm not overly phased about it now. I feel like the philosophy that I've developed around my business is that, like, you're going to have, on average, like, highs and lows. 
and whenever I hit those lows I can kind of just accept now that it's part of that experience um so I couldn't tell you I'll let you know if it's a good one I'll let you know (laughs) thanks so much to Connor for coming on the pod and thank you for listening to episode 36 I think that this idea that the true benefit of niching is that it allows you to focus is so powerful I think a lot of the time people say, oh, I'm uh, I'm the freelancer Webflow developer for builders. And it's like, wait a second. You're just choosing that because you think it's a lucrative niche. But actually, Connor explains that the benefit of niching is that you know what to do with your time. You know who to reach out to. You know, you know what your portfolio should look like. And you know what you're passionate about so choosing a niche that you know is you first makes a lot of sense you're going to attract clients from choosing a niche that actually you want to do because you want to do it and because you know it's actually something that you have some kind of in on next week i'll be interviewing thorir runarsson from snowhouse studio the founder of snowhouse studio very excited for that episode so Hope you have a great week until then, guys. Best of luck creating a portfolio that is you first. Have a great week until then, Webflow listeners.